Good morning and welcome to East Lake. We're so glad that you took time out of your busy weekend to be here at a church that is for people who typically don't like church. And especially if you're here as a first-time guest today, we're glad that you're here. Now, if you come all the time, you already know this. If you're a first-time guest here today, I'll have you know that I'm not the usual guy up here. Our teaching pastor, Brent, is out of town this weekend and asked me to provide a message for the day today. My name is Jerry, and I've been an East Laker for a number of years, uh, reaching back to the Southridge High Days. In fact, uh, it was the, for some of you who might even remember this, it was the Tim Tebow Flyer uh, series. That's, that shows you how far reaching back it goes there. But uh, today we are continuing in a New Year's series that we call Better, a series on progress. And today for week two, we're talking about the art of becoming. You need to start smoking again. Now, as a word of advice, that sounds shocking to us, but for Michael Peter, Zach, that was the most sincere and heartfelt encouragement of advice that he could give to Lorenzo, his co-worker. This is even more puzzling because Michael Peter, Zach, is a mindset and habits coach who's accustomed to giving people good advice to help them make progress in their life. But Lorenzo had decided on January 1st that he was going to um, abstain from, uh, abandon uh, tobacco and quit smoking. This was his New Year's resolution. And after several days into the new year, he had become so miserable that people couldn't stand to be around him. And in and around the office, he was always irritable and always grumbling and complaining. And so that's when, out of a sincerity of heart, uh, his friend and colleague said, you need to quit smoking. Because what he had become ended up actually being worse than the good that he set out to accomplish. And so today when we talk about the art of becoming, it's with this idea of progress, that in progress there's a lot of things that we do, but there's more to it than that. When it comes to personal progress, it's not just the, the doing, but it's the being as well. And so I'd kind of like to frame it in this way with the art of becoming is in this two-sided aspect. We talk about doing as what we do and being is who we are. And we have a lot of ways that our experience aligns this way. What you do is more methodical and who you are is more responsive. Doing is much more structured and being is more fluid or doing is more thinking-oriented, whereas being is more feeling-oriented. We might even talk about it as doing is more the mathematical side of things, and being is more the musical side of things. Doing is very proactive, and um, being is more creative, or you might say doing is more measured, uh, the other is more dynamic. Uh, one is left brain, the other is right brain. One is science, the other is art. And so in that way, the art of becoming is the one side of our experience when it comes to our progress. Now, the truth of the matter is that uh, both of these happen not as two sides of something, not even as a balance between the two, but simultaneously, our human experience involves both of those. But to understand that, we separate it into the two sides. And so today, to try to understand 
the one side of the, the being side, is we call it the art of becoming, and we'll emphasize that thing. Let me try to set it up this way with our series that we started last week. We had a slide last week that went up, and it said, you know, we all have these areas for potential growth. At the beginning of a new year, some people make resolutions, some people set goals, some people at least do a little bit of self-awareness, and uh, we recognize that there are areas in our life for potential growth, and we identified five of them that are among the most common And uh, so these were put up, financial, relational, physical, career, spiritual. And last week, Brent talked about this question, where have you lost momentum? It's an effort to try to recognize in your own personal progress where you might direct a little bit of energy. And next week, he'll be back. He's going to talk about this question, in what ways and to what extremes have I gone to hide this from my friends, my family, even myself? Well, what I'd like to do today is, with these areas, uh, the fact that we have a desire for progress in these areas means that we already have become something, and maybe not always something good. Uh, something we've become something either uh, too far in debt, or we've become not very nice, or, or maybe physically we're not healthy, or in our career we're frustrated. And so, as the new year rolls around, we get busy doing something about it. We get busy doing things, and doing this is a good thing, but it's not the only thing. Not necessarily the best thing, and much less a God thing. You know, the classic example of this that we see is that uh, in the realm of the physical is the the diet. Um, And maybe your resolution this year is to lose weight. But we either ourselves or people that we've known, we've seen this happen over and over again, where they go on a diet and they're doing the, the aspects of diet and it's working. They lose weight. They lose 10 pounds, sometimes 20 pounds, sometimes more than that. And the doing is a good thing. But then later in the year, we run into them and they've gained it all back. And uh, sometimes even more. And you just, this, this is a story that's played over and over again. And the same type of uh, experience of progress is true in the other areas that we put up here as well. Because progress, your personal progress, is more than just doing. It involves being genuine progress. For, to, for genuine progress, we have to become different in ourselves. And so I want to talk about that being side of things, how we become. And this is the focus of a God thing. And more about that as we go. But to move in that direction, I've got this chapter of the Bible, Galatians chapter 5. In the New International Version, Galatians chapter 5 has a title called Freedom and Life by the Spirit. And the book of Galatians was written by the Apostle Paul. You may or may not be aware that Paul was a prolific writer in the early church to Christian churches like this one where people were uh, experiencing their faith and following after Christ and trying to interact with their world. And there are a lot of parallels that we see in the scriptures that help us to understand in our day. But in the book of Galatians, chapter 5 is about circumcision. (laughs) If you're like me, you might think, hey, hey, we're talking about New Year's and our progress. Is this really relevant to what we're talking about? Uh, but uh, unlike smoking, you, you know, you can't go there and then go back. But back in the day, in the first century, circumcision was a very sensitive subject. That's where the groan goes in right there. It, it had become very divisive and disruptive for the early followers. On one hand, those who were insisting upon it really, truly meant well from, for religious reasons. Their heart was in the right place. But what was becoming of it all was far worse than the good that they set out to accomplish. 
And so that's when Paul, in his book of Galatians, says, essentially says, come on, people, this isn't how it's supposed to be. And he could have said, you might as well go back to smoking. So in Galatians 5, he writes to help them grasp a much better way to become. And the first verse opens the chapter is awesome, especially as we're New Year's working on our progress. And I'll spare you some of the gory details about circumcision there, but I want to read verses 13 through 18. So Galatians, beginning of verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Well, that's good news at the New Year. If you make resolutions or goals or self-awareness, sometimes every year you just feel like, okay, here we go again. And we feel burdened by a yoke of slavery, very different from this freedom that we're talking about. Down in verse 13, he says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Now, this chapter goes on with a very famous section about the fruit of that life that comes from the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Maybe you've heard that before. We'd save that for another day or maybe an entire other series. But there's this contrast between living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit on the one hand, or by the flesh, or what we might call the natural or the human experience alone. And there's this difference in the end results. The difference is in what you become. Now, this idea is expressed by one of those great quotes from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a prolific writer, Oxford scholar, uh, whose writings really were instrumental for formulating uh, American Christian evangelicalism in the 20th century and just had a way with words to put things in a very concise understanding. And when he talks about the spirit the God thing, the spiritual life, he refers to it as that central part of you. But uh, follow with me on this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. I think we have it up on the screen. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, that part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature. The difference is what you become. Now, doing good progress, apart from this spiritual dynamic, becomes something, but it becomes something less than the best. You know, I like to look at the, I don't know about you. Do you enjoy cooking? Yeah, my wife and I, we, we like cooking. We'll get in the kitchen, and I'm her sous chef. She'll have a recipe and all these ingredients. We're chopping and mixing and doing all that, and we have a great time with that. And that carries over. We'll watch TV shows, you know, Good Eats with Alton Brown or the Great British Baking Show. It's like, oh, we've got to go in the kitchen and cook something. But movies come out, and when it came out, we loved this movie called The 100-Foot Journey. And I don't know if you saw it or not, but The 100-Foot Journey is about uh, Hassan 
Kadam, a young boy growing up in India who was uh, a prodigy chef being um, trained and, and uh, mentored by his mother in the spice kitchens of Mumbai, India. And through a, a tragedy, his mentor and his mother was killed and his family was displaced, uh, fleeing first to uh, London, England, and then eventually to France where the movie unfolds and he becomes a renowned chef in the movie. But as they're making their way from London over to the mainland, their family is very nervous. There is this scene where, where being refugees, they're not sure, and they have to go through the port of entry each separately. And uh, with the nervous tension that's building, Hassan comes to the, the gate that has the passport agent that he is reviewing. And the passport agent's looking at his passport and asks him the question, why are you leaving Eng England? Well, this wasn't a question that he had prepared for. He had every reason why he was going. And so he paused and the, their eyes locked and the agent asked him again, why are you leaving England? And so in a very nervous, stammering, he just in all honest sincerity said, it's the vegetables. They, they have no soul. <laughs> of course, passport agent rolled his eyes, stamped and passes him through. But my wife and I love that. The vegetables, they have no soul. But the idea behind that is what we're talking about here today is that you can have the appearance, you can do everything right, all can be correct, and there's still something missing. Here's the thing with what we're talking about. In 2020, we start a new year, you can, in these areas that we've talked in your finances, you can rid yourself of $10,000 of credit card debt. You can, in your relations, make 10 new best friends for life, or enjoy 10 date nights with your spouse, or in the year to come physically, you might be 10 pounds lighter, or run 10 races in your career. You might gain 10 hours per week or per month of productivity. Your spiritual life, you might give 10% to the church. You can do these things and still inside feel like something is missing. The, the good thing that you're trying to accomplish still hasn't become what you had hoped it to do. You can do all that needs to be done. You can have the, the appearance that everything is just right. Everything can be correct on the outside, but still you become different inside something worse than the good that you, you desired in the first place. Now, for today, I, I want credibility with you, and so I, I just want you to know that the thing about progress in your personal life with all this New Year energy is you don't need God for personal progress. This is just a tr truth of the matter. You can make personal progress, and people do, without God. You don't need God for personal progress. You don't need faith to make changes for the better. A lot of change for the better can be done with or without faith. It, it's not a part of that. But in our time here today, being the word of church, if, if you get some good inspiration or you find some motivational ideas or you leave here feeling uplifted, that's a good thing. But a God thing draws you into actual faith and belief and trust where you have to put yourself out there into the Spirit of Christ and living by the Spirit. And this God thing, this Life by the Spirit. Exercising this faith and trust is where the path to your best becoming. So what I want to do is try to highlight how that, how faith and living by the Spirit affects what and who we become. We'll do it this way. Um, your progress uh, is the ability to take a good thing and make it a God thing. And there are several ways that, that you can do that. To take a good thing and make it a God thing a part of the faith and life by the Spirit is to trust and to believe that God is aware and cares about what you become. 
that your life and what's going on in your life is known by God, and He cares about that. Um, this is where faith is a personal dynamic, a personal spiritual dynamic. And uh, when we, we talk about that, it sometimes it seems like God is uh, far away running the universe, has no idea what's going on in my life. And there's a temptation to move into what is called practical atheism or practicing atheism, where you have a faith, but there isn't anything personable about it. Um, one of those motivational rah-rah phrases you hear sometimes, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. You know, you got a goal, you got progress you want to make. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. We got to, and there is some value, there's some good in that. But it leans us into this thing where we lose the aspect where God cares God's aware and is there for us, and we keep our faith personal. Here's how practical, I don't know if you've heard about practical atheism before. People who believe in God uh, and even are Christian and, and uh, engage in Christian religious, uh, the Christian religion, but they live their life as though God doesn't exist. Now, on, on one level, we know people like that. They live like there's no fear of God. They're carousing and all things like God doesn't even exist. But there are other people, maybe you're here this morning too, where you believe in God. That's not a uh, question. And you have faith. Uh, you follow the tenets of the Christian religion. But, and you're here on Sunday for an hour of worship with God's people. But the other 167 hours a week, you live your life in a human experience to where God's not involved at all, that it doesn't require any faith. There's nothing personal about your faith. And so when we take a good thing about our spiritual progress and turn it into a God thing, it's this idea of, of believing and trusting that God out there running the whole entire universe is aware of your life and what's going on, and He cares about that. You know, in our day, the... Uh, the abolition of man shows this pendulum swing that we've had. Back in the dark ages, uh, the Christian people, the followers of God, had very superstitious beliefs about the interaction of God with people. And in the modern era, the pendulum has swung so far the other way that the abolition of man says we've become men without chests. We've become so rational, so empirical, so scientific in our understanding of the world around us and our life and our interaction with it that we've lost that soul we're like those vegetables we've got no soul and that is the blight of our age that we become people without chest we've got a body and a mind and we're very strong in our mind but without the soul and the spirit and so for you for your progress uh, to become a god thing it's when you lean into that personal life by the Spirit, that personal interaction on a daily basis where God exists and He's involved in your life and you live with a trust and a, and a belief that the things that are going on with you in your life, the goals that you have for your progress, God's aware of that and He cares about what you're becoming in the process. Well, here's another way that uh, the good thing about our progress becomes a God thing and that's to trust and believe that God is working, even when it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> you see, there's this, this struggle to life, and I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes going through life, you've got to wonder, if God is aware and cares about me, then it sure feels like He's abandoned me and left me to myself. Where is God when you need Him? 
there is this struggle of life. In fact, my wife always has this comment, said, life is hard and it might not get any easier. <laughs> I don't know if you've experienced that, but we all have struggles. Sometimes our whole life feels like a struggle. And uh, it reminds me of that little story from nature where this guy saw a cocoon just as the butterfly was emerging from the cocoon. And through the, the little slit in the cocoon, he could see the little front legs come out and start uh, to pull out of the cocoon the butterfly that was meant to be. And the eyes emerged. And as it was struggling, he watched it. This is pretty rare to get to see a butterfly emerge from the cocoon. But as the squeezing and wriggling and strain of trying to get out of that cocoon continued, eventually the little butterfly just went limp, exhausted from all of the effort that was required. And so this guy, meaning well, got a little pair of sewing scissors and just made a little tiny snip in the cocoon that opened it up and allowed the, the butterfly to come out. And so then this fat, swollen butterfly with shriveled wings began to crawl about. And he was waiting, expecting the wings to dry out and for it to fly off and become a butterfly, but it never did. It died. What he didn't realize is that nature has designed by its uh, unique mystery that the struggle and the pressure and the, the effort of getting out of the cocoon is necessary to push all of the fluid out of that still caterpillar-like swollen thorax out into the tubular veins of the, the chitis wing membranes in order for it to become lighter, and be able to fly. The very struggle of getting out of the cocoon was necessary and nature's way of, of working to bring about the change that would allow it to become a new creature, to fly away and experience things it would never experience otherwise. I, I don't know, is that too schmaltzy? <laughs> I'm, all, I'm always worried that afterwards someone, some guy's going to come up to me and say, hey, I'll remember that next time one of those things hits my windshield and smears that fluid all over the place. But... This is, this is the reality that I experience in life. I can relate to that because there are times in the struggle of life where I have to have faith and live a spirit to trust that God is working. I, I want to say to God, God, would it, would it kill you to reach down with your magic scissors and just snip a little bit of hole in this struggle that I'm trying to get through and make it a little easier? Can a fellow get some help around here? And with a failure to realize that oftentimes the best work that God ever accomplishes in our lives is designed by him through our struggles, where we become something different than we were before. And in that becoming something that we have a capacity to do and experience something we've never done before, and the ability to reach heights and go places where we've never been before. The struggle itself accomplishes what could never have been otherwise. Through faith, we enter into that, that no matter what is going on in our lives, we have this trust and this confidence that God is working. He is aware and cares about what you become, your progress, and even in the midst of struggle, uh, when it doesn't seem like it, God is working together with you in your progress. And one other aspect I'd say about taking the good thing of your personal progress and making it a God thing is to embrace the mystery of trusting God. And it is a mystery that no matter what, through the life and times and experiences of your life, all along life's journey, you are living in a, uh, when you live by the Spirit, you're living, you're entering into a life of mystery. And it may not have 
a certainty. It may not have clarity. It may not have answers to questions. But when your good thing becomes a God thing, you embrace that and entrust yourself to the mystery of God. In the book Sacred Romance, it's described about on the journey of life, you come to a fork in the road. And as you continue forward in life, one path available to you is the road that extends on a broad, flat plain. The road is smooth and it's straight. The traveling is easy. There are markers all along the way. You know when you're, where you're going, when you'll get there. You can see for miles. And even though there is something appealing about that ease of life on that road, it's, it's a boring experience. And by contrast, the other road in the fork winds down into the valley at the head of a vast canyon, and the road disappears into the darkness of the forest where it is shrouded in the mist and fog and the cloud of mystery. And even though that road is fraught with uncertainty, the traveling will be much more difficult, and the potential that could happen at any given point in time is unknown There is something in the spirit that beckons us to travel this road. Because on that road, there are vistas that we would never encounter on the broad way of life. There are experiences that we couldn't possibly see coming that turn out to be a part of the robust adventure of life. And this is the the mystery of life, that the work of God in our progress, when we embrace living by the spirit, we travel that road. We don't know. What's going to happen? There may not be answers to the questions that we have. Uh, the, there are ups and downs that are, are more than just a struggle. They, they tax our own uh, trust in God. And it seems like God takes his own sweet time bringing it about. I like the Jewish saying, you know, the Jewish people have the strong sense of being the chosen people of God. And yet, as a people, they've endured more hardship over the history of the earth than most races. And so there's this Jewish saying that says, God, if this is the way you treat your friends, is it any wonder you have so many enemies? That's the life of mystery. That's the life of the Spirit. And I've prayed that prayer to God. I don't know about you, but I've had some experiences in life where I say, God, is this really, is this how it is? But there's a reminder there that this dynamic energy of life is kind of easy when progress is being made and steps are moving forward and everything's going well. When the opposite of that is true, when you're feeling stuck, or you're even going backwards in your progress, and the questions that you have don't have answers. To be able to keep that dynamic energy of life in that type of uh, situation is, is very challenging. And I do. I'll, I'll pray to God, say, Lord, is there no, it's no wonder you have so many enemies, but where can I go? What can I do? I've entrusted myself. I'm embracing this mystery of Life by the Spirit and following Him. The encouragement comes from uh, the, the, all those great stories of the great people of God who at different points in their life were, were so low and uh, their, their story had unfolded to such a, a depth of despair that nothing could be said was good about it. But then as the story unfolds, there is a turning point. There is a change. And the end of the story uh, more than makes up for the hardship and the difficulty that went before. You know, we kind of capture that in the wisdom 
of the Old Testament in the book of Ecclesiastes. The wisdom writer has a collection of all these wise sayings. In Ecclesiastes 7.8, he says, The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. When you entrust your story to living by the Spirit and embracing the mystery of how God works in His mysterious ways, you always live with that acknowledgement that the end of the story has not been written. The end of my story is not yet complete. And no matter what I'm experiencing now, no matter what I'm facing, no matter how stuck or moving backwards my life feels, God is aware and He cares about what I become. And God is working even in the struggle that I put forth through faith. God is working to bring it about. And by embracing the mystery that the end of the story is yet to be written, we can live by the Spirit and become the very best that He wants us to be. I'm going to end with this uh, little phrase from the Desiderata. I don't know if you know the Desiderata. Uh, in 1927, Max Ehrman published it. He was an attorney in Indiana. They used to write about uh, spiritual themes, and the Desiderata is, is a phenomenal way. In fact, it's from the Latin, meaning desired things. It's what we all want, and it describes a way of life. And when it comes down to one of the phrases, it has this statement. Whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. This is living by the Spirit. This is the life of faith. With your spiritual progress, you take a good thing and make it a, a God thing, is that God, the universe, is unfolding in your life as it should. In the year 2020, start a new year, your progress, take a good thing and make it a God thing. Let me wrap it up this way. I don't want you to start smoking again. And especially if you're here today and your New Year's resolution, this is the year I'm going to quit smoking. Don't walk out here today and say, that's my excuse I'm throwing in the towel. That's not at all the point. Definitely make resolutions. Pursue goals. Do your self-awareness. Look for those areas of growth and pursue that progress. But be alert to who you become. And as 2020 unfolds, have good faith. Master the art of becoming. And let your soul breathe deeply in the Spirit and live fully in the mystery of God. Let's pray together as we close. Lord, inspire our hearts to live with faith in you and by the Spirit. But more than that, help us to walk out of here today encouraged to um, travel the journey of life that you unfold for us and to master the art of becoming. We ask that as we take to heart the, the words today that they would help shape our own heart and our own character and give us the strength and the perspective and the wisdom that we need to face each day in life with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.